Uh, good morning. We just thought we'd bring some images from the uh, Dominican Republic mission trip, and um, I don't know any Spanish at all, and um, I was looking at the order of service, and they chose a song in there, and I thought it was actually the songwriter's name, but it was actually translated from the English to the Spanish song title. So there you go. We had a good laugh before the gathering, but that was some Spanish music all the way from the DR, and uh, our team did an amazing job of... Um, uh, yeah, they did. They did an amazing job there. And uh, so many things are happening around here that just the mission continues, right? The mission isn't there or here. It's all over the place. And so there were some men raking leaves uh, yesterday. There were people decorating this space this week. Doesn't look amazing. The Christmas uh, theme is well underway. And um, Christmas should be one of those celebration seasons for the Christian community, right? Where we celebrate the first coming of the Lord Jesus. Messiah has come and is coming again. That's what Advent's all about. And we'll introduce that to you next week. Um, and uh, setting up our chapel for tonight's lift night. There's been lots of things going on this week. So many volunteers helped us yesterday moving in chairs and getting it all organized. And so uh, the mission continues, right? It's, it's not just in faraway places. It's right here, but it's also in faraway places. So just a big shout out to our DR team for serving so well um, the last week or so um, while you were away. You saw a card, hopefully you did, on your chair when you came in. If you can pick that up for just a moment. There are some uh, events that are happening at uh, King Street. There were almost 300 ladies or so, I think, here on Friday night for the ladies' Christmas market, and that was a big win. Um, and there are other things that are happening, including the Advent lift night, even though it's not Advent, but we're starting the celebration of it tonight. Uh, we had a calendar conflict for next week, so we're starting that um, uh, prayer and worship one hour tonight in the chapel. We're going to dedicate that space to the Lord. We're going to remember some of our losses, give thanks to God for all the things he's blessed us with in, uh, in the past year, and uh, we're going to uh, creatively spend the hour praying and making more space for God. There's child care for children um, 10 and under, uh, but there's a bunch of events happening during the Advent season. Then on the back of this, uh, this card is uh, just a summary of all the things we're trying to do together as a church community. My wife and I have, our family has always set aside the under-resourced in our Christmas budget. I'm assuming you do likewise. Um, sometimes it's hard to buy for that person who doesn't need anything, and sometimes we're that person who doesn't need anything. And, uh, but there are a lot of people in our world who have a whole lot less than we do. And so we just think we can do more together than running in all sorts of different directions. So um, if you could set aside some of your Christmas budget to give to Christmas at King, uh, we'll make sure that all of these um, important partnerships and projects are fully funded. And uh, so if you have any questions about any of these, please don't, don't hesitate to ask, and we'll be happy to, uh, to clarify um, what that's all about. But if you're new to King Street um, during the Christmas season, other churches do other things, and we just celebrate all that they're doing, including our friends at Calvary Baptist, where we prayed just a few moments ago. Uh, but around King Street, we've decided to kind of hold the emphasis around serving others. And so that's what we do during the Christmas season, and it takes all sorts of different forms and expressions. And you've always been wonderful partners in uh, joining us in service. And this Wednesday night as well is our serve night, and you want to be a part of that as well. That's happening, I believe, at 7 p.m. on Wednesday night right here. All right, so uh, today we're wrapping up our three-week series on bad words of the Bible. If you happen to be brand new to us, you can head over to our YouTube channel. 
Those of you who are watching online with us today, the weekly uh, broadcast is also recorded and posted there for you. And uh, two weeks ago, we started with the first bad word of the Bible, and we talked about sin. And then last week, we talked about transgression. And then this morning, we're going to spend some time talking about a word that seems archaic. It's called iniquity. And so if you're new to the Bible, new to church, and you're saying, wow, I'm already lost, hang in there. By the time we're done today, you will have understood a new word. Do you remember last week, I think it was, we talked about going into Starbucks for the very first time? There is a tall, there is a grande, and there is a venti. And the first time you ever walk into the store, you're thinking, okay, the tall must be the big one, right? The tall is actually the small one. And the venti, what is a venti? I'm not Italian, even though many times I wish I was because I love Italian food uh, and I love Italian people. Um, But a venti is the big one, as far as I understand it, in Starbucks. But you go in, you learn a whole new vocabulary, and you look at the board and you go, I don't know, I just want a coffee, right? I just want to, can I just get a coffee? Uh, But you learn, and then after you learn a bit more, you grow to appreciate all the different nuances of what's on the menu board at Starbucks. Now, you do have to take out a home equity loan in order to buy a cup of coffee there, uh, but it sure does taste good, doesn't it? Um, Anyway, we're going to spend some time today looking at this word called iniquity. Now, the Bible uses these words that to us, especially if we're new to Scripture or new to faith or new to the church, they seem antiquated, they seem foreign, but the Bible uses these words to help us understand one huge big idea, that there is something wrong with the human condition. Uh, We all in this room and everyone on the the planet who is a human has a problem or has a set of challenges, and they're not just circumstantial. Uh, We have something that's gone wrong with us as humans, and so the biblical writers have chosen these words to help us understand the gravity of what has gone wrong with us. And the gospel literally means good news, and it is tremendous news once you understand the scope of our challenge or our problem. And so here's how we can think about the gospel. The gospel is good news, but before it's good news, there is bad news. That's why we're talking about these bad words of the Bible. But before these bad words of the Bible become known to us or even understood or become part of our experience, there was some very, very good news God made you and I in his image and in his likeness, and after he created everything, day one through six, he said it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, right through to day five, and then on day six, he makes the first man, the first woman, and he said, now this is very good. So before you and I ever experience the bad words of the Bible, what is most intrinsically true about you and I is not that we're bad, but that we are very good. We were made very good. And so we need to make sure that we understand the good news of the gospel, the bad news of the bad words of the Bible, but we back it all the way up. We understand that because God made you and I in his likeness, that we are image bearers of the one true God. We carry with ourselves wherever we go value and dignity because of the image we are made in, right? God is a relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You and I are made in his image and likeness. That's why you and I crave connection and relationship because we bear his image. 
And that's why whenever a human life is taken, it's a tragedy, it's terrible, because it's an image reflection that gets removed from the earth. Every single one of us are unique and different. And that we're almost like, as Dallas Willard says, like right-angled mirrors by which we reflect the glory of God to one another and to the world around us. So you are very good, very good. And yet you have a problem just like I do. We have a default system, a gravitational pull of the soul that takes us in all the wrong directions. But then the gospel gets announced that Jesus is king. There's a new king in town who offers forgiveness and grace and wants to cancel all of our transgressions, our sins, and our iniquities. And when we realize the gravity and the severity of the corrective, redemptive work of Jesus, we say, I'm going to give my whole life to you as we receive his forgiveness and grace and become new creatures in Christ. And so this is where we're going to spend some time this morning. So if you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to recite this passage together. But just before we do that, can I read it to you, make a comment or two, and then we'll recite it together so that you can recite it with a a little more awareness. So don't read this with me at this point, but we'll read it in just a moment. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Because we're honest. When I kept silent, David says, my bones wasted away. There was, there was a sense in which he was groaning at the deepest part of who he was. When sin is not atoned for and not forgiven or canceled in some way, it's almost like right into our bones there is an unsettled problem that we feel physically and spiritually and emotionally. He says, for day and night I felt this heavy hand was on me. My strength seemed to be gone. It was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I did something. I acknowledged my sin to God. I don't have to run around and to announce it to every other human person. I announce it to God. I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. That's our word for today. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And here's the good news. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Beautiful, beautiful passage from Psalm 32. All right, so ready to read this with me? Let's read this together. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Amen. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So the bad words of the Bible, sin, was the very first word, and we learned that to sin is to miss the way or to miss the goal or to fail in some way. That's what it means from a Hebrew and a Greek understanding of that word sin. All of us have missed the way. We have failed in some way. And then our second word was transgression. And literally it means to break trust. uh, Or it could be translated rebellion or trespass. So we have broken trust with God and we have broken trust with one another. And this is a significant problem in the world. It's why we have locks on our doors. 
It's why there are fraud departments in financial institutions. It's why we have antiviral software on our computers. It's because we have broken trust and we continue to break trust with God and with one another. That's what it means to transgress. When somebody breaks into your home and steals something, a break and enter, and they're unknown to you, it is a violation, right? If you've ever had that happen to you, it feels like I feel so violated. Somebody was in my space and they took things that didn't belong to them or damaged things that weren't theirs. But it's a significant trust violation when you find out later it was your neighbor, right? Or it was a family member or a former friend who was trying to do you some harm in some way. That's a significant trust violation. It's like, I can't believe you would do that to me. We are reclaimed as friends of Jesus in the Gospels, but we are made in his image and likeness. There's almost an aspect by which he puts a, a part of himself, so to speak, in us. And he says, I can't believe you would do that to me, so to speak. It's a trust violation. It's a transgression. And then iniquity. Uh, it literally means behavior that is bent or crooked. Behavior that is bent or crooked. And it can also refer to wickedness, guilt, or it can also mean to sin. And so uh, Dr. Tim Mackey, by the way, and the, our friends at the Bible Project have been so helpful to me, first of all, with the creative title of the series that they came up with first, and then some of the work that Tim and his team have done on understanding the etymology behind Hebrew and Greek words. They've taken the complex and the complicated, and they've made it simple for people like us. And so I'm really grateful for all the good work that they've done. But here's what Dr. Tim Mackey says. He says, what is most unfortunate about the misunderstanding of these words, right? Sin, transgression, and iniquity is that we miss out on a very profound diagnosis of human nature. If we skim over this or perhaps even reject this idea, we end up with a human anthropology that is uh, not fully developed, we can say. We miss a very important part of what it means to be human. So humans who are endowed with such dignity and value, which is us in this room, we all have a problem, and it's a terminal problem that will not be fully resolved in us until we are at home with God on the other side. In the meantime, we're learning to identify it and to deal with it and to grow through it. And as Paul writes in, in uh, the New Testament, he says, we are to crucify ourselves. It's almost like we go to an execution stake on a regular basis to deal dramatically with those parts of us that take us away from our design, from our image. And so today, I hope to put you at ease in one sense. I want to put you at ease in the sense that sometimes these words that have been spoken over people or have been addressed to people have been done so with a, almost a spirit of antagonism or anger. There's almost been a vehemence in the voice of the person who's announcing that we are sinners and you almost get the feeling that the person in the past who was doing the announcing was somehow not included in that category. I am among you as a sinner, as a transgressor, and one who understands iniquity personally. We all have, in the words of the prophet, we've all gone our own way, which is the wrong way. I remember somebody once saying that we should never, ever talk about hell or missing heaven as pastors without having frosted eyes. 
You know what I mean by that, right? There's a compassion and an empathy and a sadness around that reality, not an anger and not a judgment. And when we talk about this important subject, people who have been in my shoes in the past, and perhaps it's even been me, and if it has been, please forgive me. Being angry about this subject and placing the anger on people is to do a disservice to the gospel and to do a disservice to the dignity of human people. And it's misdirected. We should be angry at sin, but not at people who sin. And so I want you to feel incredibly safe here today. I'm not angry with you. God's not angry with you. God is upset with sin because sin hurts people. God loves people. And so hear the heart of the preacher teacher today that it's, I hope, uh, a clear manifestation of the Spirit of God that he's coming alongside us today inviting us to choose a better way. And if we can see sin as problematic, you are not your problem, sin is the problem. Amen to that? Are you with me today on this? Okay. So I'm not angry with sinners because I am one. (laughs) Uh. All right, iniquity explained. Um, Can I address three passages that help us understand this idea of iniquity? Um, and, and my assumption today, because I had to do my homework too for this preaching teaching assignment, is if I was to go up and down each row here and ask you, what is iniquity, what is iniquity, what is iniquity, you might struggle with that working definition, right? How many of you, be honest, would struggle with this working definition today on what iniquity means? You might be able to dance around it a little bit, but at the end of the day, uh, you might struggle. I've kind of given you a bit of a Coles Notes version, but let me take you to a few passages in the Old Testament where the same Hebrew word is used to help us with a picture Uh, We live in a world right now where image is almost everything, but here I'm advocating that words still matter, and the meaning, the accurate meaning of words matters a great deal. And so let's take a look at this word avon in Hebrew, where we get the English translation iniquity. Uh, By the way, avon is not evil. It's avon. (laughs) Um, All right. So uh, Psalm 38, verse 6. David is describing his physical condition, okay? He's not doing very well. And he uses this word, avon. He says, I am avon. I am bent over. That's what the Hebrew is. So he's, he's feeling this sense where he's, he's, his whole frame is kind of leaning forward. There's a, there's a, a crookedness to his, his posture. He's bent over. He says, whatever is going on in my life at this point has taken its toll on my frame, and I'm, I am bent over. I'm bent over and racked with pain, he says. All day long, he says, I walk around filled with grief. And so in this passage, it takes the expression of the psalm writer uh, who says that his posture is, is bent. It's almost like a curvature of the spine, so to speak, that David is, is experiencing. It's a worn out human condition. He's bent over. Now, the prophet Jeremiah, he describes the condition of the people of Israel And prophets always confronted the people, inviting them to return to God. And this is what he writes, Jeremiah chapter 3. says, Voices are heard high on the windswept mountains, the weeping and pleading of Israel's people. For they have chosen crooked or avon paths. They have chosen crooked paths and have forgotten the Lord their God. So in the first context, it's about a physical posture. In the second context, it's about a road that winds and turns and twists and bends along the 
the landscape. It's not the open 401 highway, a straight road, right? It's not, a, it's not as John says, like make level ground for his feet, Messiah who's coming. This is a road that twists and turns and bends all over the place. This is what the prophet is saying. And the people of Israel had chosen crooked paths. And then the last one is this in Job 33, verse 27. He will declare to his friends, I sinned and twisted the truth. I have avoned the truth. I have twisted it, but it was not worth it. He comes to a place of regret where he said, I didn't line up with the straight nature of the truth. I twisted it. I bent it to serve my purposes. And so these um, contextual um, illustrations help us understand iniquity. This is the same Hebrew word, avon, used over and over again. And so here's our friend, Dr. Tim Mackey again. He says this. He says, the choices we make or even our conscience, when it has been bent out of shape or distorted, that's when we experience avon. When our conscience has been misshaped in some way, or when we have um, made choices that have taken us down a certain pathway. Um, can I give you an example of what's twisted and what's bent out of shape in the Durham region? Maybe you saw the CP24 article that was published on uh, Friday, I believe. Um, there was an ad created. I'm just giving you the summary of the article. Uh, the Durham Regional Police had created an ad and it was part of their efforts to curb child sexual exploitation. And it was specifically targeting those who live in the Durham region. So there's an ad presented that invites people to consider, if you're interested in child exploitation, click here. It was viewed over 6,600 times in four days. For it to be viewed, it wasn't just seen, it was clicked on. There were a handful of arrests made, charges. Five individuals were arrested, 15 charges made. This was actually on a Thursday media release. My apologies. 6,600 times in four days. Would you agree with me that there's something twisted and bent and broken in that situation? Something has gone the wrong way. Conscience is out of shape. The decision-making has opted for crooked pathways. People are bent over, so to speak, and they're not walking uprightly. Right? This is iniquity. So I didn't want to just share this today without pausing after I shared it because that's a concerning statistic. Right? These are the people who live in the Durham region. Can we pray for our kids? We'll do that right now, actually. Lord Jesus, we just bring this uh, troubling news report to you. And Lord, the people who have accessed this ad, they have their own trouble but they're causing or looking for trouble for others, the innocent and the vulnerable. And we pray, Lord, for the safe protection of our children. We pray, God, you would keep your hand on the little ones. We know from reading the gospel that Jesus cares about the little ones, and we do too. So we pray for their safety and their protection. And we also pray for the ones where something has gone wrong inside of them, where they find that appealing. We pray, Lord, for their healing that something would dramatically change in them where they would not be bent on learning more about this kind of crooked behavior. 
And we pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I do believe that when we pray, by the way, things happen. This was very important, what we just did. And we'll trust God with it. Okay, so iniquity explained. Consequences of our iniquity. Um, Here's another way of looking at iniquity. Again, I, I, I hope, by the way, the priests in the Older Testament were responsible for preserving knowledge. And so I hope every time you come here, and I know that some of you have lo- walked along the way with Jesus for decades, and, and I hope that most times that we meet, uh, that there is some form of knowledge that gets imparted, that there is some greater awareness. So I hope by the time you leave today, you have a greater clarity around this thing that's gone wrong with, with all of us. But one way, again, of thinking about iniquity, I was brainstorming with Pia yesterday, so I have to give her full marks for this. Pia, Pia said, what, here, what about this illustration? I'm like, it's so good, Pia. Yeah, 100%. Uh, behind every decent man, there's an amazing woman, right? You know that. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's, that's worth applauding for sure. Pia said, because it's about that time, right, where we're decorating and, uh, and, and, you know, Christmas lights. Those of you who don't have, and we don't have one, one of those uh, uh, decorated trees with the lights that are on them, we put our string of lights on all the time. And every, I should say every year, but most, most years, um, there's a one bulb that's out, right? And you got to go in, you got to find where it is. Or even worse, you take it off because you're in a hurry in the first few days of January, you throw it into a bin and then you pull it out and you go, oh, <laughs> I got to make some sort of functional use of this. And then every year you say, next, we need to take our time. We put this away. Why do we do it in such a hurry? But it's untangling, untangling the Christmas tree lights, right? Because they're twisted and bent and tangled up. And for us, in order to um, make good use of the way they were designed to be used, we have to slowly and methodically kind of untangle them so that we can wrap them around the tree and it can show the beauty and the brilliance of what Christmas lights are supposed to do, right? So the consequences of being um, tangled up, right? Uh, there's a mess that happens. And, uh, and the consequences of the mess are, are everywhere. And always remember this too. Whatever tangled mess I permit in my life or whatever tangled mess you permit in your life, it's never just your mess. Never. That's what we'll want to kind of tell ourselves. Well, this, this is my problem. This is just me. It doesn't affect anybody else. It always affects other people. It always does. Because you're not the same person Something in you starts to shift and change. You don't have the energy to engage problem solving. Something shifts inside of your brain. Something shifts inside of your spirit. Your emotions become dulled in some way. Your values shift here and there. It can be very subtle or it can be incredibly dramatic. But whatever tangled mess we permit in our lives, yes, we have every right. We have every right to entangle ourselves in whatever we choose to. God has given you freedom. You get to choose. I get to choose. But when I misuse my freedom, which is what this last three weeks has been about, and I entangle myself, right? The writer of Hebrews says, the sin that so easily entangles. When we entangle ourselves in something, we hurt ourselves and we hurt other people. It's always that way. And so God, by his spirit, comes to us and says, let's untangle this so you can function the way you were supposed to function in the world. It's not about conforming to religious standards. It's about stepping into your destiny and your design. It's what you were made for. It's what I was made for. 
And then we have the evil one come and whisper or our lower nature entice us to say, ah, there's a better way. And those of us who've been around a little while who have chosen what we thought was the better way have come to terms with the fact that after we've repented and realized that we've made a tangled mess of parts of our lives, we say, oh God, you are so right and I was so wrong. And so iniquity in many ways comes with its own consequences. Uh, it was Greg Boyd who said this. He says, God doesn't assign consequences for our sin. Sin is inherently bringing and delivering its own inherent consequences. So God's not looking around and saying, oh, you did that? Uh, I'm going to get you for this. You did that? Uh, I'm going to get you for that. It's actually pregnant within the whole system that he's created. And that's why he says through Moses, he says, choose life, not death. Choose life, not death. The only problem is in our culture right now, all the values have been exchanged. What we, as we read in Scripture, is clearly bent. You know what happens? Culture says, no, no, that's straight. You're the ones that are bent is what culture says to us. Right? You're upside down and backwards and inside out. And the gospel says, I want to help you right-size your life, shift things. It's an upside-down kingdom culturally. And one of our biggest temptations and challenges in the world we're living in is to be more Christian, right, than cultural. So we always think to ourselves, that's what the culture is saying. What does the gospel say? What are the ways of God? How does God speak about this? And if we always go back to the origin, to the design, we won't shift too far away from, from true north. Okay, so here's the consequences of our iniquity. Listen to this. I love the redemptive God we serve. He goes on and he demonstrates how the iniquity has messed people up. But before he does that, listen to the very first verse. This is in Isaiah 59, verse 1. He says, surely the arm of the Lord. Here's the prophet. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. In just a moment, the prophet's going to outline all the ways they're messed up. But he says, by the way, I just want to remind you. It doesn't matter how far and how messed up you think you are. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short. Right? nor is his ear too dull to hear. So if you happen to cry out or ask for help, guess what? He will hear you and he will reach to you and help you. But he says, here's the problem. Your iniquities, underline, your iniquities, all the twisted and bent spaces in your life have separated you from your God. That's the biggest tragedy right there. Your iniquities. God hasn't separated himself from you. Our iniquities have separated ourselves from him. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Because when you're so preoccupied sinning, you're not calling out to God for help. For your hands are stained with blood. Here's all the mess we make of our lives. Your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble. They give birth to evil. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die, and when one is broken, an adder is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds, and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes. Acts of violence mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. 
There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will know peace. This is the consequences for our chosen iniquity, to opt for crooked rather than straight. So, Tim Mackey again, God lets us experience the crooked consequences of our choices. God gives us the dignity to carry the consequences of our own bad decisions. Wouldn't it be nice if he would just sort of say, ah, I'm not going to let you have the consequences for that. I'm just going to protect you. No, it's not going to happen. He loves us too much to protect us from that. Right? Any parent who says they're not going to discipline their children doesn't love their children very much. Right? We need boundaries. Boundaries are really good for us. Guardrails keep us from going over. But God says, I understand the redemptive, instructive nature of pain. And what do they say? Sometimes it requires that the pain be greater. The pain, when the pain of changing is greater, then the pain of staying the same is when we will. I said that wrong. When the pain of staying the same is greater, is less than the pain of changing. You get it. I'm not going to go there. Anyway, pain teaches us. Honestly, sometimes. Thank you for loving me. You're all saying, why is that so hard to get out? I don't know what he's trying to say. All right. Ready to wrap up here? Let's go out on a good note. A better word than iniquity is forgiveness. As you've heard me say many times, forgiveness is a financial term. So if uh, you loaned me money and I said, I'm really having a hard time paying that back. In fact, I don't know if I'll ever be able to do that. Forgiveness is actually, or me saying, could you cancel that in some way? It's you being very gracious and kind to me and saying, you know what, Dave, you don't owe me anymore. You don't, you don't have to pay that back. I'd say, are you kidding me? And say, no, you don't have to pay me back. It's just considerate. It's yours. The balance is zero. That's forgiveness, right? And if someone did that for you, someone did that for me, our immediate response would be, I'm assuming a big, huge thank you, right? We would come alongside and say, I, I can't believe you did this for me. Are you sure? And the person says emphatically, 100% yes. I don't want you to pay me back, actually. It's zero. You owe me nothing. I'm like, oh, my word, I feel like I just got my life back because that was overwhelming. And Jesus tells a story about that and says, this is a huge, huge debt that God is canceling. And then one of the problems is that you and I, somebody else owes us something small, we run around and demand that they pay us back, and we keep score and all of that. And so God's economy around forgiveness is incredibly generous, and it's for the asking. We just have to really say, I'm aware of what I've done, or maybe what I've left undone, and I ask you to be merciful and forgive me. And he says, it's yours for the asking. And if we really understand the depth of that, then we just say, I don't know what else I can do except give the rest of my life in service of you. And so this idea of canceling debts or bringing our outstanding balance to zero is what forgiveness is all about. Now, in Hebrew, forgiveness is also one other thing that I hope helps us. It also can imply lifting or carrying. And so to forgive someone is to come alongside and lift them up. Um, this is the picture. P and I wrote with little Finley today going for a walk in the morning. Little Finley's out there walking along, and there's these two big dogs that are not on a lead in our neighborhood area. And they're big, and I didn't have my glasses on, and one looked like it was one of those intimidating dogs. And I love every dog, but the bigger ones that are off a lead every now and then, <laughs> right, the brain starts to go into, okay. So I pick up little Finley, 
I'm walking with him, and, and everything was good, no problem, but the, the owner seemed concerned too. Because the owner was concerned, I became a little more concerned. But immediately, I just picked him up. And why did I pick him up? Because he's my boy. And I couldn't let him just sit down there and be traumatized, perhaps, by a bigger dog who was going to come over off the lead and kind of intimidate him. And so that's what a compassionate, loving master does for a dog that could be rather defenseless and helpless in a situation. If that's what I would do for my dog, and I am a flawed human who sins, transgresses, and is familiar with iniquity, what do you think our perfect God, who is not even attracted to evil, would do for you and I when we are at our point of greatest need? He will pick us up, and He will lift us and take us out of harm's way. This is what forgiveness does. Forgiveness gives us our dignity back, though it's been lost and somehow compromised by sin, right? It's the tangled web we've created for ourselves, and He cuts through it all, and He grabs a hold of us, and He says, you're mine. It's what forgiveness does. You're not out there aimlessly trying to make your way in the world, trying to figure out, untangle your own mess. You come to God and say, I'm a tangled mess, and would you please help me? And you know what he does? You better believe it, he helps you. And he helps you by showing up in all sorts of ways. So if you're here today and there's a bit of a tangled mess in your own life, I want to ask you this first question. What is there about you that is bent that needs straightening? We can use that picture. What is there about you that's tangled up that needs to be untangled? We can use that picture. Is there something in your life where you say, I need to bring this iniquity? I feel bent over. The heavy load of my own decision-making has caught up to me, and I feel the weight of it all. Is there something that comes to mind for you? If so, you're probably an incredibly good company today because we are making our way in the world, and stuff sometimes sticks to us. There's almost like a, a Velcro that's in our own hearts that's attracted to some of the wrong material, so to speak, in life. And it's hard to sometimes detach ourselves from it. If that's where you are today, remember this. You can bring that iniquity to God. He knows about it anyway. And in Psalm 32, you don't have to tell another soul about it if you don't want to. You tell God what it is. And he's not surprised, by the way. But it's, it's confession is good for the soul because we now face our stuff. And we come to God and say, this is the truth about me. And when we do that, he says, oh, finally. Finally, you face the truth about you. Now, you and I can do something about it. And God is always incredibly redemptive. He's looking to rescue people. He's not looking to punish and judge people. That's what the cross is all about, is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And so when we see the bloody violence of the cross... We see a God who says, I want to make everything right in the world, and I want to make every human the beautiful person, the very good person they were designed to be. But we have to come to him because you're just not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You don't have enough within yourself to do it on your own. I don't, and I know you don't as well. And so here's four resources that you and I have available to us today in real time right now to deal with the entanglements of our own soul or the crooked places that have taken root in our life. Prayer. Have a conversation with God. 
bend your knee, so to speak, metaphorically, recognize the greatness of God and the trouble that we're in, and have a conversation with him. It's a great starting point. The self-help shelf at Indigo is loaded with some really good stuff. I, I wouldn't set a flame to it all. There's good stuff there. But the most important thing is a conversation with God. Start there. And then um, open up the text of Scripture and get familiar with the ways of God. And as we get familiar with His ways, we recognize the error of our own. And so the Spirit comes alongside, and He is the great teacher, right? The Holy Spirit is the great teacher and guide. And He will illuminate you and lead you into wonderful truth. And as you become more familiar with His ways, and you attach yourself, here's the third one, Attach yourself to a healthy community, and I want to believe King Street Community Church is a healthy community. Belong to a community of brothers and sisters where you can live with others, the younger, the older, doing life together. Very, very important when it comes to our own spiritual formation. And then the, uh, the final one is counsel. Sometimes the entanglements of our own soul are so complicated, and it's so tight, the knot is so tight. Have you ever had one of those moments, whether it's fishing line or a wire or whatever, and you're trying to get it apart, and it's like, I need somebody with bigger nails, <laughs> right? Somebody's got bigger nails. I don't have big nails, but somebody who can just kind of get at that a little bit. Sometimes we go seek out a counselor or a therapist who can help us because they have some capacity to help us with the entanglements. And so there's a place for that. That's why pastors do what pastors do and why therapists do what therapists do. And I would want to encourage you to find a, a good Christian therapist who can help you along the way if the entanglement is bigger than you can handle on your own and with a faith community. It's very important. So prayer, scripture, community of faith, find a good counselor at some point along the way. And you know that we believe that around here, that there's no shame in seeking help from others. It's, uh, it's the way we're, we're wired and invited. So there's the scripture talk for today. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. When the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing, that's when we change. Pastor Gary. I always look to Pastor Gary because, yeah, there we go. We did. I couldn't finish that. I couldn't be on YouTube for the rest of my life without being able to set that straight. So <laughs> He's so famous for so many wrong things, right? Okay. Um, so as I do every year, Advent is next week. Uh, you probably know the stats like I do. When are most um, separation agreements established? When are people leaving for other residences? When are divorces initiated? This is the one time of the year that it happens. When is that time? The first few weeks of January. And why is that? Because coming through December, the Advent season, financial pressure, relational issues, family dynamics, everything becomes a little more acute, and they just finally say, you know what? We're done with this. We're done with this. And so remember this. The stakes are really high as you go through December for marriages and family, personal well-being. Don't buy into the cultural um, pace that says you should be out every night and you should put everything on visa and make sure you impress everybody with your gift giving. Don't go into debt at Christmas time. I just encourage you not to do so. If you don't have the money to buy a gift for somebody, find a creative way to bless them and demonstrate your love for them. Don't buy into that. Let's make sure Jesus is right at the very center of our Advent celebration. And can you guard your marriages? 
Guard your families, guard your relationships, guard your personal well-being, your mind, your spirit. Keep your nose in the good book. Gather with God's people for worship. Be generous with the under-resourced. Let's leverage this season so that we can become even better, more mature people coming through it than have our life develop new knots and new tangled messes. Okay? I only say that because I care for you. That's what's coming next for a lot of people come January, and we don't want that for anybody in this, in this congregation, okay? All right.